I told Mallory I'd say a couple things as she was walking off. Um, and just in complete uh, transparency, I think if you guys know me, I just try to be real. Um, I can be honest with you. This is not how I would have scripted things going, uh, looking for a student minister and a children's minister at the same time. However, uh, we don't have a choice. And the confidence I have is that even if I would not have scripted things that way, uh, here's what I know. I know that God has always been a far greater author and writer of life's chapters and life's paragraphs than I have ever been. And so I know and I have confidence that he saw these seasons before they came, and he will see us through these seasons. He has given us uh, great kingdom workers, and we should hold them very open-handed and loosely. We knew when we hired Mallory, um, LCC has this history, if you're new to LCC, you may not know this, of hiring people who are young and making an investment in them. And sometimes when you hire people young, it means that they're nearing these transition seasons in their lives where they grow and they are able to see more clearly what God wants them to do. And that means inevitably that sometimes they move on to different seasons in their own life. And so we knew that and we were okay with that. Uh, we believe that God brought Mallory here for a season and that he'll bring somebody else here for the next season. And I'm just grateful for that. But it's going to be hard and it's going to be different. I will tell you as a pastor, one of the concerns that I had um, is, is how it would feel to, to you as our congregation to know that we have two people that are transitioning out. And our elders are committed uh, to continuing to pray and shepherd and search out what God has for us next. And so we cover your prayers in that and your participation in that as we seek to see what God has in this next season of, of our lives. I think what we've just heard even from Mallory is we think about people leveraging their, their lives. We, we want to be people who encourage that. We want to be people who recognize and celebrate the gifting in other people and encourage them to go wherever God is opening doors and, and wherever they can be most obedient to his calling. We should celebrate that. One of the things that God has given us as people is the ability to use our work to leverage our unique collection of skills and abilities and talents and energy and intellect and experiences um, to put them to work for tasks and endeavors um, to help further his purposes in the world. And so even what we are hearing from Mallory, we have heard from Jason last month, are, are people following, following him, saying, God, how do you want to use me uh, in this next season? And we should celebrate that. Um, I say that because today we're looking at this theme of work that shows up in Proverbs. We're in this series in Proverbs called Live Well. We're looking to this ancient book of very practical wisdom, uh, wisdom that is consistent with what we see throughout all of God's word. Actually, I see this. I'm glad I left this out because I, I need to tell you something. Pause on work for a moment. Um, we've done something a little different with this transition um, when, when Jason shared uh, a month ago, he went up and immediately shared with the students. Previously, uh, when we were announcing Tyler leaving uh, about four years ago, he went ahead and shared with kids. And something we feel like we learned that process is that we think that it should be the parents' opportunity to share with their kids first. Change is hard on everybody, but it's especially hard on kids. And, uh, and so we thought we would give parents that first opportunity. So two things about that. One is please, when you leave here today, uh, don't go into the hallway and say, hey, you'll never guess what we heard. You know, Mallory's leaving or whatever. Um, 
please, please don't go share that around because everybody should get to hear from Mallory themselves first, um, but also the kids should get to hear from their parents and then Mallory will share with them and answer questions next week. Uh, the second thing is, is that we've uh, published what we call a Parents' Guide to Ministry Transitions and they'll be set out at the back of the room after this worship experience and it's just simply a guide to help you. Um, there's a section here that says what's happening. It says Mallory's new adventure. Just says very clearly um, why Mallory is making this decision, what the decision is. A couple hints, uh, when you uh, navigate ministry transitions, stick to the facts. I know sometimes when we wanna tell the story, we like to narrate with our own thoughts about what we think might be happening and that can cause damage. And so just stick with the facts. Uh, Mallory has signed off on everything in this box and so it, are, it reflects her thoughts and feelings. Uh, talk and listen to your kids. Don't be afraid to let them ask questions. And then we gave kind of a three-step process here at the bottom. First, have the hard conversation. Just let your child know you have something difficult to talk with them about. And maybe refer to that section on Mallory's new adventure and let them know what the decision is. Two, remind them of the truth. Remind your child that Jesus, Paul, and others moved from town to town serving God and helping as many people as they could. And so many trans ministry transitions are part of life in God's kingdom. In fact, Paul even champions in 1 Corinthians 3 that uh, in our lives, some plant the seed and some water the seed, but God makes it all grow. And then the third step is simply to pray and encourage. Uh, pray and encourage your child. Pray for your child. Pray with your child. Pray for Mallory. Pray over our church. Pray over the next children's minister to come in. And that can be a way to help you um, be guided through this transition alongside your kids. So that'll be available at the back of the room when we leave. Oh, they're at the communion tables, right? Perfect. That'll work. Um, so back to work. Sorry about that. A little abrupt flip-flop around. Um, we're looking at living well. Um, Proverbs gives us all this ancient wisdom to help us know how to live life the way God intends for us to live it. Uh, there's this sentiment that's reflected in the early part of Proverbs and then in the middle part of the book that tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That when we fear God, when we have reverence for him, we have all to him, all for him, we, we submit to his ways. And that's how wisdom begins because we want to do life God's way. And God has a best way for us to do life. God intends for us to live life well. We've said all throughout the series that John 10, 10, Jesus has these words, that the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have life in the full. Jesus says, I came for you to experience life at its best. So the word of God is full of all kinds of counsel and wisdom that guides us in how to live life God's way, but it requires us to submit to him and trust him more than we trust even sometimes our own experience and our own feelings. We trust his word and we trust his truth. When we look into Proverbs, we, we've looked at subjects like relationships and what we do with our words and how we make our plans and what we're seeing, like, God, what do you have to say about these big things in life? And one of those things that Proverbs talks a lot about is our work. How we apply those skills, abilities, talents, intellect, energy to tasks in life. And in fact, in Proverbs, you will see time and time again that the wise, those who fear God, those who respect him, those who submit to him, are associated with diligence, with hard work. The wise and diligence always go together. Conversely, you'll always see that the fool is associated with laziness, or sometimes uh, the writer uses the word sluggard, which is not a word we use a lot, but it's kind of a fun word to say, um, that's someone who kind of epitomizes this laziness. 
uh, not engaging in life's challenges and life's work. And so again and again in Proverbs, we're going to look at one section in particular today, Proverbs chapter 6. The wise teacher, uh, the father in this case, is encouraging their child to see the value and the importance of working hard and not being lazy. And we're going to see by the time we're done today that this is uh, reflected in all of Scripture, but also will help us consider what I would call a theology of work. Uh, The word theology means um, basically the study of God. It's when we study what does God think, what does God feel, what is God, what is his truth. We're going to be asking the question, God, what do you say about work? What do you say about hard work? And Proverbs invites us to consider that. So if your Bible is fine, Proverbs chapter 6 will be there in a moment. But I hope that you'll see or at least consider this question. Do you believe or do you feel, do you accept that your work, how you leverage those skills, abilities, talents, energy, intellect, experience that you've been given can be one of the best ways for you to experience God's purpose and fullness, but also to help somebody else experience his purpose and fullness and plans. Maybe to say it another way. Do you believe or do you accept that your schoolwork, your housework, your yard work, your work work, what we might call your vocational work, your volunteer work, can be one of the best ways for you to discover and feel fulfilled in your purpose in this world, but also be a way to help other people experience their purpose in this world. How do you feel about work? I think if we're completely honest in here, there's all kinds of mixed emotions about work. I would bet all of us at one point in our lives or another have dreaded going to work. I don't want to get up tomorrow and go to work. I don't want to go in this week. I don't want to have that hard conversation. I don't want to lead into that challenge. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. All of us probably other times in our life have said, I love my job. I can't wait to go to work. I can't wait to see those people. I can't wait to be with those people. Sometimes we loathe work, sometimes we love work, sometimes we view work as a necessary evil, like it's how I got to pay the bills, and sometimes work feels like it's even more like recreation. We've probably experienced a wide host and variety of emotions when it comes to work. How do you feel about work? And can we redeem work to see that it is one of God's most effective tools to only help you experience your purpose, but help other people experience theirs. Do you know how much of our lives we spend working? If you think about it, from about the age of five to the age of 70, we will spend in America eight to 10 hours a day, five to six days a week working. You may say, well, Craig, how do you get the five-year-old in there? Well, from the age of five, if that child goes off to kindergarten, what are they doing when they're at school? In a sense, they're working. They're working to learn how to interact with other people. It's been a big deal since COVID. Uh, Our young teachers will tell you that, um, that the teachers that teach young kids, uh, how how to count their alphabet, how to tie their shoes, and the list goes on. They're, They're working to learn, and that continues on through first grade, second grade, on through elementary school, on through middle school, on through high school. And for those that choose vocational college or, or, or another college, they, they, they keep working. And, and then when you're not working at school, you find yourself working often in a job. And you'll do that until the age of probably 70, if not later, um, 
I look at a couple places and the age varies, but the, I think it's around 70 when you combine them is the average age that people are now retiring. It used to be in the mid to lower 60s. We work. And so it would make sense that we would want to know how to leverage our work well, how to do it well, how to honor God, how to make the most of it. And, and the beauty of God's word is it gives us wisdom. And really the heart of it is understanding that God created us to work hard. Verse 6 of chapter 6. Um, it comes in the midst of this section where the father, the writer, is warning about various types of folly or foolishness that will be potential hazards for the child, for the listener. And here's what he says. Proverbs 6, verse 6. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. You can feel the strong warning, can't you, uh, from the father? Go look at the ant if you're feeling like a sluggard, if you're feeling lazy. Go watch. Go take notes. Go, 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 go watch the ant work and learn something. What, what is a sluggard? There's kind of a self-definition in these verses even. We'll start in verses 9 and 10. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. In ancient Israel, in a world without televisions and Netflix and Hulu and PlayStation 5s and Switches and TikTok and Facebook and Instagram, one of the primary ways that people would escape from engaging in responsibility and challenge and work was just to stay in bed and sleep. And so what the father is saying is that there comes a time when you've just got to get out of bed. And if you're the person who says, I'm just going to stay here. I don't want to face the challenges today. I don't want to face the work of today. I'm just going to lay here just a little more sleep, a little more slumber, a little more folding hands to rest. Uh, you're going to find yourself in a bad place. Here's what I don't want you to hear. The writer of Proverbs, and I myself, I'm not saying that sleep is bad. I'm not saying you shouldn't take a nap. I'm not saying you can't sleep in ever. I'm not saying that, that, you, that you shouldn't rest and renew through sleep. What the, the author of Proverbs is saying is there comes a time and place where we lean in to sleep, not just for rest, but for escape. We'll just say, you know what? I, I don't want to do that right now. I'll do it another day. And we just push off the responsibilities and the challenges and it keeps us from working hard. And what I would submit is that we have other forms of escape today that aren't just sleep. It's that way for some people. Some people, sleep is that escape, and it keeps them from engaging and working hard. But again, we live in this world that has streaming services and video games and social media feeds to scroll and the web to surf. And again, I'm not saying that if you binge a show on Netflix or you play a video game or you scroll through TikTok or if you surf the web, that that means necessarily that you're lazy. But I think it does cause us to reflect and say, am I using these things perpetually as an escape, as a distraction from engaging in more important 
work that God would have me to do. Listen to these words from uh, Ray Ortland Sr. He was a pastor and author. He's now died. His son, Ray Ortland Jr., still does some writing and teaching. He says this in his book, Make My Life a Miracle. Your danger and mine is not that we become criminals, but rather that we become respectable, decent, commonplace, mediocre Christians. The 20th century temptations that really sap our spiritual power are the television, banana cream pie, the easy chair, and a credit card. The Christian wins or loses in those seemingly innocent little moments of decision. And he pleads, Lord, make my life a miracle. If we are honest, it is easy to default to um, not engaging in the hard things of life. And temptation surrounds us. And when we give in to the temptation to be lazy, to live more of the sluggard life, we are, we're not engaging in the mission that God has given us to do, and um, we're not fulfilling the purpose he's given us. We are made to work hard. A couple of things we learn about the sluggard in Proverbs. One is that the sluggard has a negative effect on other people. Yeah. Listen to these words in, in Proverbs chapter 10. Proverbs 10, verse 26. As vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so are sluggards, so are the lazy to those who send them. So when somebody's trying to get someone lazy to do some work and they don't rise to the challenge and they stay lazy, it's like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes. In recent years, uh, taking some apple cider vinegar has, has become a, a popular remedy. And those of you that have done that know that when you, when you drink that, when you gargle with it, whatever you do with it, clearly I don't use apple cider vinegar very much, um, it, it kind of gives you that, almost that, that feeling of when you eat a lemon, like it just sets your jaw hard. It puts your teeth on edge. Uh, for those of you that drink kombucha, sometimes you can get a, a, a taste of kombucha that maybe fermented a little too long or, or, or did something that tastes vinegary and it just sets your teeth on edge. It's irritating. It's annoying. How many of you have been around a campfire and you, you tell the joke, like it feels like the smoke just always finds me and you, you move from chair to chair to chair and the smoke just gets in your eyes and it burns and it, it lingers. That's the graphic language that scripture uses to talk about a sluggard, talk about someone who perpetuates laziness. They, they irritate. Um, if you've ever worked with someone who is lazy or who has an early shutoff switch, as I sometimes say, it can be hard because it hurts everybody on the team. But not only hurts other people, the sluggard hurts themselves. If we go back to Proverbs chapter six, the father's concern when he, he mentions a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, he says, and poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. He says, if you're sluggish, if you're a sluggard, if you're lazy, then you're going to experience the harmful effects. And that's reflected throughout the book of Proverbs. Just look at this collection of verses. Start with verse 12. I think I should have a slide, maybe. Yep. Diligent hands will rule, but laziness ends in forced labor. The lazy do not roast any game, but the diligent feed on the riches of the hunt. All hard work brings a profit. The mere talk leads only to poverty. Sluggards do not plow in season, so at harvest time they look but find nothing. Anthem throughout this book of wisdom is this idea that 
when we are a sluggard, when we are lazy, we hurt ourselves. God intends for us to work hard. You and I were made. You and I were created to work hard. Look at what he tells the, um, the, the young man in, six, in chapter 6. He says, if you're feeling like the sluggard, if you're tempted to be lazy, go to the ant and consider its ways and be wise. And I love it when the scriptures are so timeless as this, and they often are. If you and I were to go out uh, today and find ants near a tree, on your patio, hopefully not in your kitchen. If you find them there, you can still watch them. You'll notice that ants are always moving with purpose. Ants are always doing something productive that furthers their life, that would enhance their life. And, and the wise teacher says, go to the ant, look at his ways if you're feeling like a sluggard, if you're moving towards laziness. Watch how they move with purpose. Why? Because you and I were made. You and I were created to work hard. And this is where I want to bridge into helping us understand the last minutes we have together, this biblical theology of work. Because what the writer in Proverbs 6 is communicating is reflected in the whole story of Scripture. You and I, as human beings, were created for work and to work hard. Sometimes, uh, some of us have been mistaught. We've been told that hard work is a result of the fall. That's not true. Some of the difficult work we do is a result of the fall. You find that in Genesis chapter 3. Work is cursed because work already existed before the fall even took place. Look at Genesis chapter 1. Again, building this biblical theology of work. Genesis chapter 1. In the creation account, verse 28, it says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. In other words, a man and woman, you got work to do. You're going to fill the earth. You're going to subdue it. You're going to rule over it. There is work. And if that's not clear enough, fast forward to Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. We are called to be people who work. Uh, it's reflected again in Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20 is um, the place where we see the Ten Commandments. And one of those commandments is to honor the Sabbath day and to keep it holy. We need to work at intentional rest also. But look at Exodus chapter 20, uh, verse 9. When he talks about remembering the Sabbath day and keeping it holy, here's the reason God gives for it. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Even there, he says, you're going to rest because part of your design is you're going to work. Six days you're going to work, and then you're going to rest. It's echoed again in the New Testament. Um, I think of Ephesians chapter 4 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Here's what Ephesians 4 says. Ephesians 4 verse 28, he's talking about how believers are to be different. He says this, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work a way that believers look differently is there are people who are willing to work rather than steal, doing something useful with their hands that they may have something to share with those in need. 
or 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11. Again, writing to this community about what life as God's people is and how it looks differently. He says this, and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, you should mind your own business and work with your hands just as we told you. And I don't think I have this verse on the screen, but verse 12 says, as you do this, uh, it's so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. The point is, is that from beginning to end, scripture shows us that we are made to work. You were created to work. And that doesn't mean your work has to be a paid job. Don't hear that. But you were created to work. It's going to be schoolwork. It may be housework. It may be yard work. It may be what I would call homework. And I'm not talking about the work that you do when you come home from school. I'm talking about the work you do on your home, on your family, investing intentionally in your children and those entrusted to your care. Help them discover who God is. Help them discover their purpose in this world. That's homework. It can be work work, your vocational work. It can be your volunteer work. But we were made to work. And that shouldn't surprise us. You know why? We were made in the image of a God who is a hardworking God. When you go to Exodus chapter 20, what we just read, the whole reason for the Sabbath is that God is the model of it because God did what for six days? He worked and then he rested. And what do we see in the Old Testament? God continuously working on behalf of his people. You can go to John chapter five, verse 17, when Jesus is called to account for what he's doing on the Sabbath and he tells the people that are gathered, listen, my father is working and I am working. We're, we're at work. What do we think about when we read Romans chapter 8, verse 28, that gives us so much hope? That we know that in all things, God does what? God works to the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We work hard because we're made in the image of a hardworking God. We are created to work. Um, I think that invites the question why? Why, why are we created to work? Why is God such a hardworking God? Because God has a mission. God has a purpose in this world. And God uses our work, whether it's schoolwork, housework, homework, yard work, work work, vocational work, volunteer work. He uses it to help people experience him. It's one of his primary ways to influence this world as we fill the earth and we subdue it even with our own skills, abilities, talents, experiences, energy, and, and intellect. If you think about Jesus' call to his disciples, it occurs in the early chapters of our Gospels. Uh, he comes to um, Peter and Andrew, and he, he says, hey, uh, I want you to drop your nets. I want you to stop fishing. I want you to come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. You've been working at fishing in this way, and I have new work for you to do. You're going to fish for people. Think about the Great Commission. I'm going to send you into the world to make disciples of all nations, to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and I'm going to be with you as you do this. You have work to accomplish. And one of the ways that he's given us to accomplish his work is through our work. Think about schoolwork. For many of our students, it is an incredible mission field. They are in classrooms, they are on buses, they are on sports teams with many who don't grow up in homes where people know who Jesus is. They're being taught by educators in some cases who don't know who Jesus is. And so even that work can be redeemed to further God's purposes. And so if you are a student, I would encourage you that how you conduct yourself in the classroom 
the effort you put into your hard work at school, how you discuss and converse and talk about other people or other teachers at school with your friends, those are ways to influence and make an impact for Jesus or to draw people away from him. Our schoolwork is a way to influence people. Our housework is a way to influence people. When I say housework, some people probably cringe. Craig, are you saying I need to have an Ikea showroom-like house and it needs to be spotless? No. If you weren't in my house, I don't have an Ikea showroom house. Over half of our furniture is hand-me-down furniture. People either given it to us or we found it on a curb somewhere and Audrey's refinished it, okay? That's our home. It doesn't look like an Ikea showroom. But if we work to keep a house that's at least clean and safe, it creates a space for conversations where we can be hospitable and practice spiritual disciplines that Jesus calls us to. When you have a home that people are willing to come into and sit down, even if you've got to move some stuff out of the way, you're able to help influence them, neighbors that don't know Jesus. When you hear about your neighbor and that their father died and you go and you spend time with them and you invite them into your home, there's a chance for conversations that lead them to see who Jesus is. Our housework matters. Our homework matters. Again, not talking about homework you get at school, but the work of building your home. If you're a disciple of Jesus, do you understand that God intended for you to be the first and the primary spiritual influence in the life of your child? God did not intend for it to be a youth pastor. didn't intend for it to be a children's minister. And if you talk to our youth pastor and our children, they will tell you they want to come alongside you as parents to help you and to equip you to be the primary spiritual influence in the life of your child. But you have work to do. And so even if you're not getting paid for work, but you're staying home every day with those kids, you have an opportunity to influence them, to help them process life as God would intend for them to process it. That's your homework. Your work work, for most people, the time in your life when you spend the most time around people who don't yet know Jesus outside of school is when you're working in the workplace. Whether that be Lily, a school, Rolls Royce, an engineering firm, a fire department, a police department, you have the most opportunity through uh, your work to influence people for his kingdom. And so how you converse, how you talk, how you handle difficult conversations, how you engage in, in problems, how you deal with supervisors who are difficult, they reflect on the kingdom and give you opportunities as you intentionally invest in the lives of those you work with to experience the beauty of his kingdom. It's another reason why hard work matters. Volunteer work is the same thing. We have opportunities to use our skills, our abilities, our talents, our experiences, our energy, our intellect alongside other organizations in our community, within the church. All throughout our building right now, there are people, rooms down this hall, rocking babies, changing diapers, speaking words of truth from God's word into their ears. There are people down in the kids' auditorium sitting in small groups right now with, with some of your children, helping them see how God's word applies to their life and what God has to say about them. There are people down in this part of our building, another part of our preschool program, investing in kids in a very similar way. Next hour, there will be um, a number of leaders upstairs with your junior high and high school students investing in their lives, helping them see what God has to say about them. Our volunteer work helps further his purposes in this world. God created us to work. He's a hardworking God, so we can join him in his mission and his purposes in this world. And then that's the big impetus behind what the writer of Proverbs is saying. Listen, you don't have time to be lazy. God's got great work for you to do and great things for you to accomplish in this world. So will we live well? Will we be hardworking people? Now, what happens if... 
Uh, you're working in a place that's really hard and really difficult with people who are really hard to work with and people who are really difficult. Uh, I'd encourage you with the words of Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3, 23 and 24. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. When we work, ultimately, we're working for him and not for somebody else. Um, Somebody I know who is very close to me um, told me one time uh, when they were going through some really hard things at work that the only thing that kept them going was knowing that they weren't ultimately working for that person or that company. They were working for God. And that thought alone kept them getting up every day at 5.30 in the morning and driving an hour to work and leveraging their lives well and not gossiping in the workplace and being interested and invested in the lives of their fellow coworkers so they could see them come to know Jesus. And I'll tell you a story about this individual. Over the last year, that same person has had the opportunity, now 10 years since they retired, to be near the bedside of a couple of co-workers because the investment they made all those years with that company, even when they didn't want to go, those people knew something was different about them. And so when they were dying and they needed hope, they called them to their bedside and they could speak the words of hope. We were made to work hard. And even when we work for difficult people in difficult places, remember that we are working for the Lord and not for mankind. Let's go to the ant. Let's observe the hard work and the labor. One, one, one more thing I would share. What happens when you get to an age when your body or your mind no longer allows you to work hard? Here's what I would encourage you to do. I would encourage you to ask other people to come around you to help you find ways that you can still make a difference. Maybe you can no longer lift your, your arms above your shoulders. Maybe you can no longer walk. But there might be a way that you can pick up the phone and encourage people each day, call people, invest in their lives, invest in children and grandchildren. Maybe there's a way you can invest in nieces and nephews. I remember this woman, I've told this story here before, her name's Irma. Irma Gaston was her name. When the, the second church that Audrey and I were in serving. Irma was a feeble, older lady. Walked with a cane, couldn't do a whole lot, was in and out of the hospital all the time. But you know how Irma leveraged her moments when she was well enough? She had a card ministry. She wrote cards every single day. And there wasn't a person in our church that probably didn't get a birthday card, an anniversary card, a get well card from Irma. She couldn't serve in the nursery anymore. She couldn't push a lawnmower at the church. She could hardly walk through the front door. Sometimes she couldn't even do that, but she could have a card ministry. And so she worked and she worked hard to the very end. An idea I thought of this week, um, I wonder what would happen if when we know someone we love is maybe suffering from dementia or Alzheimer's or something that really keeps them from feeling they can leverage their lives well. What if we help them find a hobby or something that could still bless people? What if you help that dementia patient or that Alzheimer's um, sufferer color pictures, paint, so that you could somehow share that with somebody else. So even if they are not aware of it, they're still furthering and using their life to make a difference. God gives us the opportunity to redeem work. He gives the opportunity to even redeem retirement, right? Our American picture of retirement is nowhere in scripture. 
Nowhere in scripture does it say, go out and, 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 and take off at the age of 60 and be done. And, and I'm so thankful that most of the believers that I know that are retired, they don't do that. They may not have the influence in the workplace they once did, but when they travel around, if they're, they're at a campsite in Florida or Arizona, they will intentionally invest in neighbors around them to help continue to help people see who Jesus is. And so would we redeem work and redeem retirement and work hard, observe the ant, let's move and let's be productive. Let's stay motivated by his incredible mission. Let's pray. God, I thank you for uh, the wisdom of Proverbs. I thank you for the wisdom of your word. I thank you, God, that you model hard work for us and that you call us to hard work. And I pray, Father, that when we go through those seasons when our default might be more easily to be lazy or um, to push off the work you've called us to, that we would be intentional in engaging in your mission. And God, may we be wise. May we know when it's time to be strategic and to take that Sabbath rest so we can uh, lean in again to the work that you have called us to. God, redeem work for us. Help us to live well and leverage our moments. Leverage our time, leverage our abilities, leverage our skills, our energy, our intellect for you. It's in your name we pray, amen.